0: So good to be with you today here in the auditorium and in the venue and those watching online. We welcome you also. My name is Adrian and I'm one of the pastors here at Carney Free. Has been noted already. We are in um, week two of this little expo time where you get an opportunity to choose community and join the mission. We have these four shaping values that we talked about last Sunday which is Embrace the Gospel, Seek Truth, Choose Community, and Join the Mission. And at our annual expo, this is the most natural, perhaps easiest time to enter into a community of some kind. We all know that in this room, be it in the venue or here in the auditorium, there's too many people around you to be in community well with all of them. It's an important piece here on Sunday morning that we get this with each other, that we're part of the church and we get to see each other's smiles on Sunday morning, but we all know that it's not enough. And so after church, you have opportunity to go out to the expo. And um, find a place that maybe you serve, and, and that becomes a great avenue toward relationships, also. Or find a place where you can choose community with a men's group, a women's group, a couples group, a C20, or a young adults group. All of those are available out in the lobby way right after service. Yeah, hey, I, I grew up spiritually during a time about 20 years ago when the word accountability was a buzzword well within the church. Does anyone remember that? Okay, it's, it's kind of lost some of that luster in today's church, but the word accountability was a buzzword in the church when I was growing up spiritually some 20 years ago. And it was almost an expectation, though, that if you were going to be a serious disciple of Jesus Christ, you were going to be serious about walking well with Christ, you would find your way into some kind of accountability group or accountability partnership, and the premise in that was you would push each other on toward Christ. I was talking to a number of staff members on our team this past week about the word accountability, and I asked them, what comes to your mind well, when you hear the word accountability? And uh, they said things like this, which I wrote down but cannot quote from memory. Uh, it feels like I'm in trouble. It feels like a meeting. It feels like excessive self-revelation, i.e. overexposure. Sharing of my deepest and darkest secrets, to which I then asked the follow-up question, are any of you excited about being, being in an accountability relationship? And no surprise, none of them were excited about that. I tried this for quite some time. There were two or three different men that I tried accountability relationships with, but for some reason, we never felt motivated for those meetings, We would show up, and then we would find other things to talk about, and then we wouldn't show up again for a couple months. They just kind of fizzled, because it feels kind of demotivating, right? It feels a little bit demotivating to enter into a relationship with the specific premise that I'm going to join in a conversation with you every week or two in which we each share our deepest and darkest secrets and failures. Yes, welcome. Just what I was hoping for. So those relationships, at least in my case, kind of fizzled. But what I've noticed over the past 20 years or so of being serious about following Christ, I've been at this now for 24 years since I became a Christian, but at least the past 20 years since I first got introduced to to this concept is many in the church today have thrown out the baby of deep friendship. Deep friendship. Iron sharpens iron friendship with the bathwater of accountability partnerships. And the result of that is we don't have really deep spiritual friendships in many cases with anyone. The result is oftentimes what we have is these superficial acquaintances with many people that are based on common interests or maybe some online material that we share together, but no deep level spiritual friendships that actually have the opportunity to impact our souls. And as accountability partnerships have gone by the wayside, something else hasn't really come in and replaced it for many of us. And so what we're doing here in this series that we started last week is not introduced accountability relationships, not that. What we're trying to do is talk about, for five weeks, ways that we are better together and why we are better together and how we could potentially get there through our life group communities of all different kinds, how we can get to something that's better than accountability partnerships or superficial acquaintances. I tell you, friendship, on the handful of occasions in my life that I've genuinely had real Christian friends has been one of the greatest blessings in my life. I don't know about you, when I've had people in my life who are free to speak into my life, but also who encourage, who empathize with the challenges in life and who are serious about walking with me toward a better destination who is Jesus Christ, it's it's been one of the greatest of worldly experiences. I think often of C.S. Lewis and his friendship group. He was dear friends with J.R. Tolkien. C.S. Lewis wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, J.R. Tolkien, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and many other books. And they had a couple other friends as well. And in Great Britain, they had this friendship where they would get together on a weekly basis. They talk about their literature, but they would also encourage each other spiritually. And as you get to know C.S. Lewis more and more, one of the things though, that I I learned about him was he wasn't married till like his mid 40s but he was a deeply satisfied man he was a deeply happy christian man and he was satisfied without ever being married until his late 40s in part because of the quality of those friendships that gathered together on a weekly basis and he said this friendship is the greatest of worldly goods certainly to me it is the chief happiness of life, the greatest of worldly goods, the chief happiness of my life, the book of Proverbs is chock full of invitations to the blessing of friendship. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says this: "As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another man." This is not specific to men. As iron sharpens iron. So one woman would sharpen another woman. And the question is, how would I become the kind of friend who would actually sharpen another man? How would you become the kind of friend who would sharpen another woman? And to that end, though, this morning, I want to suggest three words though, that can help us get there. Three steps toward community community which is greater than, which is better than accountability. That's the title of our message, though, this morning. Three steps to community, which is greater than accountability. You see there what we did with that word three? Isn't that cool? Yeah, your pastor is a dork. Unashamed. Here's the first step. Practice empathy. Here's the first E. Practice empathy. Empathy. Practice empathy with others. To empathize is to seek to understand another person. It is the decision of our will to walk a mile in someone else's shoes. It's the decision of our will to understand that there are 7 billion people on earth, and every one of them is different. And so when I empathize, I choose to walk a mile in your shoes so that I could understand before I choose to pass some moral judgment on you. This is to empathize. Empathy is not a feminine characteristic. It's not a masculine characteristic. It's a human characteristic. And more important than that, it's a divine characteristic. To empathize is to be like Jesus. You see, Jesus chose empathy with us. If you know the Christian story at all, you know that Jesus left the most glorious place we could ever hope for, heaven. The most paradisical place for the dirt of modern day Palestine and Israel. And he left the glory of heaven for the dirt of this earth to become a homeless, sacrificial servant who gave up his life for the broken hearted. He left the glory of heaven for the dirt of humanity to cry with his friends. To draw near to enemies. To eat with prostitutes. To be kind to the broken hearted. To take on the dirt of this world such that we would understand we have a God who empathizes. Listen to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. It says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize. The word high priest there is one of the words for Jesus. Okay, he's the high priest that went into the Holy of Holies. As we talked about last week, there's these division walls in the Jewish court of the day that divided Gentile from Jew and then also another wall that divided Jews from the high priest. And the high priest could go into the inner sanctum of God in in the temple. And Jesus is the high priest, the one and only high priest who offers himself for us as a ransom for our sins. And it says, we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You could say from that passage that he empathized with human experience in every way, with the one exception of the experience of sin, Jesus did no sin. He was perfect, and because he's perfect, he can take the place for our sin. This is basic theology. His perfection for our imperfection to bring us to God. But even there, he can empathize with what it is to be tempted to sin. He was as we are in every way, even temptation, but he resisted it. And because he resisted 100% of the time... He can help us when we are tempted because, again, he can empathize with that experience of temptation. And what the author of Hebrews says here, if you look carefully, look at that verse up on the screen. Well, once more, it says, because of this, because he empathizes, you can draw near with confidence. (laughs) Just jam with me for a moment. When you know somebody empathizes with you, do you draw near to them with confidence? You do, like it just naturally happens this way. When you sense that you are safe with someone, you want to draw near to that person, you feel a greater level of confidence with that person that you can be yourself in their presence and you may not agree, but you are safe with them. And this is what the author of Hebrews is saying about Jesus, that we can draw near to Jesus with confidence. And we can pray before his throne room, his great sovereign throne room, understanding that he will give us grace and mercy in our time of need, and we have that confidence because he can empathize with your weaknesses. Amen? This is our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, because he treats us this way, so also we would empathize with one another. Here's what happens when you're with someone who you can tell cannot empathize with you. You shut down. You scoot back. The door closes and you don't try to reopen it. This is the nature of being with Mr. Let me fix ya. Have you ever met Mr. Let me fix ya? Wives, are you married to Mr. Let me fix ya? Ooh, I'm hitting too close to home. You're looking at sometimes, let me fix ya guy. I can't tell you how many times I've tried to be, let me fix you guy with my wife. And I'm batting zero. It doesn't work. Right? It doesn't work. She shuts down every time I try. And it's not her fault. It's my fault. Because that doesn't work. Let me fix you closes the door between people. When you apply that, like that works with drywall. That works with a car. That doesn't work with the human soul. When you apply that to the human soul, it closes the door between people. But when you apply empathy, a divine characteristic, a beautiful human characteristic between people, it opens the door of relationship between people. It's empathy over accountability. There's a man in this church who's a life group leader, and he was sharing with me just this past week that in his life group, they made the decision last year to spend the better part of a semester, two or three months, that every single life group, all they did as they got together was hear one another's testimonies. And they shared each other's stories where this is where I was raised, these are some of the things that I dealt with as I was raised. Here is um, my Christian testimony of how I came to faith. Here's how I've been growing since this time. These are the things, that I continue to struggle with. In a very appropriate way, as friends in a life group over the course of a number of years, they chose to take two or three months that no more than one or two people per evening would share their testimonies with each other. And this life group leader told me that the result of that was the bonds of friendship were gained in that life group in a way that they never were by any study that they did together. Not even close, he said. He said, because they shared their stories with each other, then one person would say to another, you've been through that? Would you tell me more about that? I had no idea about that part of your story. I've been through something similar. And then they had greater equipment to be able to encourage each other through the challenges of life. Again, empathy precedes accountability. I love the way Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it. He was a Nazi resistor who gave his life for resisting the Nazi movement in Germany. And he was simultaneously a pastor. How do you like that kind of pastor? Okay, he was a pastor who gave his life for the resistance of Nazi Germany. And he was also a theologian who deeply loved friendship Wasn't married till later on in life himself. And he says this in his wonderful book on community called Life Together. He says, the first service that one owes to others in the fellowship consists in listening to them. Just as love to God begins with listening to his word, we love God and so we listen to his word. This is the logical train of thought. So the beginning of love for brothers and sisters is learning to to listen to them. One of my heroes is a man by the name of Billy Graham. And I I read whatever I can about Billy Graham. And I love listening to his old sermons. And he is a hero. And I think about how he became a confidant to all different kinds of world leaders across the world, but also here in the United States, especially here in the United States. Do you know Billy Graham was a confidant to every single American president? From 1950, President Harry Truman to 2018, President Donald Trump, when Billy Graham died in in 2018. He was a confidant to every single one of those presidents. Why is that? How, How could he do that? Because he went in with empathy. He listened before he instructed. He understood how lonely it is at the top, and so he could empathize with those who were lonely at the top. And they found him to be safe, a confidant, which then enabled him to speak into their lives. It's empathy that can lead the way to prayer and can lead the way to the next E, which is encouragement. Second thing you want to do if you want to be a great friend, if you want to be iron that sharpens iron, is speak encouragement over another person's life. There are over 60 different times in the Bible where we are told to encourage one another or we are told that God chooses to encourage us. It's not a secondary thing in the scriptures. Many of us speak encouragement about someone to someone else. Don't do that. Just go directly to the person and speak encouragement to them. God commands us to do that. Let me give you just a sample of three different times. This is three out of 60 that we could choose where the scriptures tell us to encourage 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, Warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. You know someone who's who's disheartened right now? Go out of your way to encourage them. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Psalm 10 verse 7 says this about God. You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them. God himself is an encourager toward the afflicted, and you listen to their cry. This is the character of God. Here's one of my favorite, particularly as it relates to our Better Together initiative here that we're going through over these five weeks. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says this to local church assemblies like ours. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on, how we may root one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Isn't that interesting? Even way back in the first century, it was easy to give up the pattern of meeting together. And so it is today. It's easy to get out of the habit of meeting together. It's easy to get out of the habit of the need of being an encourager that enters into relationship with a few others where we know and we are known. But the Bible here says don't get out of that habit because other people need your encouragement. This is why we meet in life groups of all different kinds, to spur one another on toward love and good deeds, to stay in the habit, to keep good habits in community, and to encourage one another. God says this some 60 times in the scriptures because God knows that people are famished today for a lack of encouragement. There are people that you know right now. There are people that I know right now who are like raisins on the vine, shriveling away because they haven't gotten the water of encouragement. Encouragement literally means, encourage literally means to strengthen. That's what the word means, to strengthen. To encourage is to give strength to another. It's to make life more bearable. (laughs) It's to go out of your way to really think the best of others and to add value to their lives. When you encourage, you build relationship, build friendship, and you strengthen another. I love the way the Proverbs puts it. Proverbs 15 says this, bright eyes gladden the heart. Good news puts fat on the bones. Isn't that good? Bright eyes of an encourager gladdens the heart. Good news of an encourager puts fat on your bones. Whose bones are you going to put some fat on this week? Who are you going to do it for? Here's my challenge for you. Here's my one assignment for from today's message. Encourage someone today. Then encourage someone tomorrow. Then encourage someone on Tuesday. Then encourage someone else on Wednesday. Encourage someone every single day this week, all the way to next Sunday, put some fat on someone's bones. You ask, how do I do that? I wasn't really taught how to encourage Adrian. That wasn't really a thing in my family. That's okay. It wasn't a thing in lots of our families. Here are a few ways that you can encourage, simple ways that all of us can encourage. You can tell someone what is true about God for them. You can speak scripture into someone's life. You cannot go wrong with that. Tell someone what's true about God for them. Tell someone what's true about God's character for them, that God is for you, God is with you, God won't quit on you, Jesus intercedes for you, I am interceding for you too. You can tell someone that I am here for you and you can mean it. That is encouraging. And finally, you can encourage someone else by going out of your way to speak truth over someone else about their character, about their skills, about their talents, telling someone something that you notice that is good about them, that's true about them. Now, the reason that's so important to do for people is because when we get discouraged, it's hard for us to imagine we have any value, When we're perpetually discouraged or despondent, it's hard for us to imagine we bring much good to others. And so others need to intentionally strengthen us by speaking what is true and good into our lives when we are discouraged. I'll never forget a time about nine years ago, my wife was in a very, very difficult job. And um, she had just gone back to work. It was the fall, nine years ago. Whenever that was, I'm not a math major. Um, 2011, it would have been, okay, I did it. I um, <laughs> see some business profs in this room, maybe I can join in. All right, 2011, um, she, was, she was in this, this new job, uh, inner city school, very, very tough inner city school. And she was getting really discouraged. Uh, she's a young mother, two kids, um, and uh, she was commuting an hour into work and an hour home from work, and she signed up for 24 hours, and it was one of those 40-hour, 24-hour jobs. You know, the, the paperwork was just piling on. And as a young mother, it was just too much. And she was getting very, very discouraged. And I remember seeing her continence becoming kind of despondent. And then one Friday evening... I asked her, how did work go this week? Tell me what's going on. Is it getting any better? And she said, it was really good. I said, well, why Why was it good? What what changed this week? And she said, I really think I can do this job. I said, wonderful. Tell me what changed, honey. And she's a speech therapist. She's a really good speech therapist. And uh, she said, one of the teachers told me that Johnny is really improving with his stutter in class. And he's really improving with his articulation. And he's, um, he's so grateful for you as a speech teacher. And, and she said, and then another teacher told me that Monique really likes me. And she loves her speech teacher. She likes to have those sessions where she's taken out of class and Monique loves her speech teacher. Well, of course Monique loves Susie. If you know Susie, you'd love Susie too. But it was like, bam! She got two words of encouragement in one week, and she was off. And she did it well for the rest of the year before they closed that school down because of lack of performance. That's the kind of school that she was in. She was in a sinking ship. But the encouragement that she got is what kept her going. Encouragement is not false praise. It's not flattery. It's speaking what is true over someone. What's true about God for that person. What's true about that person for that person. If you want to be iron that sharpens iron, sharpen another man, sharpen another woman. You will be sharpened as you encourage. We empathize, we encourage, and then the third E is this we exhort you offer exhortation. This is the most difficult one to do. You offer exhortation. Exhortation means to speak into, to give feedback, to challenge. In some cases, to provide accountability. And this is the one that we want to do away with because of what I started with in this morning's message but we can't do away with it because all of us have blind spots and we need others to challenge us that we would move more and more toward Christ. We always need a couple other people in our lives that would help us see how we are missing the mark such that we would grow more into the likeness of Christ. The Proverbs well once again says says this, wounds of a friend can be trusted. But it's an enemy who multiplies flattery. It's an enemy who multiplies kisses. It's the wounds of a good friend that can be trusted. So, like, there's a time to listen, but there's also a time to reprove. There's a time to show empathy, but there's also a time to challenge. There's a time to sit back and then to encourage, but there's another time to provide moral discernment that morally, my friend, my dear Christian friend, you're getting off the rails and because I love you, I must say it. Because we're part of the same Christian family, I must say it. And there's a time for that that we all need it. Every single one of us. I think of feedback or exhortation as kind of like miracle grow. Generic version for us. Um you plant your flowers they can probably do quite well with some rain and good sunlight. But if you want them to really flower, if you want them to get big and bright, you want them to have more beautiful bulbs, then you put a couple scoops of this on them, right? At the beginning of the season and then maybe another time. This is what feedback does for us. This is what exhortation does for us. Having a friend who has liberty to occasionally exhort us, to challenge us, to go more after Christ is like miracle grow. It's like Wheaties, it's the breakfast of champions. It strengthens us, it grows us up as we have two or three people like that in our lives. Now, we all know we cannot come into a relationship starting with accountability or exhortation. That's why people run from accountability groups. You begin instead with encouragement and empathy, lots of that, and you build relationship because if you do not build relationship first and you start with exhortation and accountability, then you'll be seen as critical or judgmental or pharisaical and people will just avoid you. But if you lead the way with encouragement and empathy and maybe another E would be the example of Christ in someone else's life, Then oftentimes there's margin in a relationship for us to be able to give feedback to one another through which we actually grow in Christ. Friends, I'll just tell you one of the greatest instruments of spiritual growth in my life has been genuine Christian friends who have been unafraid to challenge me, to offer me feedback. To exhort me when I'm getting off the rails a little bit, to guide me toward the very best that Christ has for us. I would never go through life without that. I have a couple people in my world right now, here in Kearney, Nebraska, who are dear friends like that, who are not impressed with me as a pastor, they just see me as a friend, another traveler who needs the same thing they need. And when I'm getting despondent, they know how to encourage me. And when I'm getting prideful, they know how to put a brick on my head and push me down a little bit. It's critical. Especially today. In the midst of all of our social distancing, the way life is going to be for probably quite a while longer, To have a friend who sticks closer to us than a brother. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another man. As iron sharpens iron, so one woman sharpens another woman. And I believe that those kinds of friendships can actually be grown. I've experienced here. Those kinds of friendships can actually be grown through the soil of a very good life group. This is why we're asking you to choose community. Because we need it to be the best that God would have for us. We would be better together by practicing these three simple words. Empathy, encouragement, and exhortation. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that um, it's never been your design when you created humanity that we would need to walk through this life on our own. You said from the, very good, from the very beginning it's not good for man to be alone and then you gave him a helper. And obviously our spouses can be a great helper to us, great encouragement, great friend to us but in many cases, God, that alone won't do it. For many of us, we really need a friend, a same-sex friend who would move in the same direction as us toward Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so I'm, I'm asking that for all of my friends in this room. I'm asking that for everyone who's watching online. I'm asking that for everyone in the venue, that you would give us the courage. We admit that we need courage to choose community. Would you give us the courage to choose community? Would you give us the courage to become the kind of friends who are unafraid to get down in the muck and empathize with people? Would you give us the courage to be the kind of friends who are unafraid to strengthen someone who is hurting through the gift of encouraging words? Would you give us the courage to receive feedback from another? Start there. We all need it. And then as we build relationships, perhaps, Lord, you would give us the courage to offer exhortation, offer feedback to others. Oh, Father, I pray that every person in this church would have a great place in this community. I recognize it can happen so many different ways. That's why we offer so many different kinds of life groups. But, Father, would you put a spur under some people's saddle today to help us, oh God, to take the next step towards spiritual friendship. I know we'll be the better for it. And so we ask, Father, for your help through the mighty name of Jesus. We'll be careful to give you all glory and all credit. You are the only wise God and we thank you. In Jesus' name.